Welcome to the weekly update, where we go in-depth with a particular topic. Joining me today is Workplace Relations Consultant Maria Coppolis. Welcome, Maria. Hi, Daniel. So today we'll be discussing the revised progressive agreement for the Public Sector Health and Allied Management and Admin Officers Agreement, which was attached to Bulletin 2616. Before we begin, we last provided a bargaining update to our members during episode 171, which was issued around a month ago in the start of November. How has bargaining progressed? So we've continued to meet twice weekly through November and in December we will be on the first two Tuesdays, then an intensive three-day bargaining sprint to the Christmas break from Tuesday the 15th of December through to Thursday the 17th of December 2020. And I understand the parties have agreed to scheduling further bargaining dates in 2021. That's correct. So bargaining recommences on the 12th of January 2021 and the parties have scheduled twice weekly bargaining meetings until the end of February. And what's our focus uh, during the month of December? We're hoping that the parties will be able to settle most, if not all, of their non-classification claims by the end of the year. We will continue to post updates on Yammer to ensure members are briefed on progress. So in terms of the outstanding classification claims, uh, will much time be dedicated to those over the rest of this month? Look, it's unlikely at this point. So as the parties have agreed to focus on non-classification claims during December, the parties will clarify clarify what's outstanding prior to the Christmas break and return to them in January. And how can members stay up to date with bargaining? So a summary of all bargaining meetings is available on the Health and Allied Managers and Admin Worker Yammer page. So VHIA ensures that the Yammer feed is updated regularly to keep members informed. Great. So let's move to the topic of today's podcast, which is the Progressive Agreement document. I understand we've recently issued version two. That's correct. So version two of the progressive agreement was provided to health, health services on the 2nd of December 2020 by Bulletin 2616. Fantastic. And members would have received version one of the progressive agreement on the 11th of November 2020 via Bulletin 2610. That's right. So if a health service missed version one, do they need to read it before reading version two? They don't. So we've tracked the changes from version one in green highlighted cells, so you can skip straight to version two. Uh, however, this podcast only provides a summary of the additions to version, version two. Fantastic. So version two is set out in the same manner as version one, with the claims broken into three tables. Correct. So table one refers to claims which affect all employees under the agreement. Table two relates to claims which are specific to health and allied employees and table three is specific to management and administrative workers. So starting with table one, uh, could you take us through the new claims which have been added to that list? So firstly, we have the workload management clause, which expands upon the existing staffing levels clause under section two of the current agreement. So we have flagged this as having a limited impact as many of the provisions relate to maintenance of safe workloads, fatigue and other existing OH&S obligations. So these changes shouldn't have a drastic impact as many employers will already be compliant with these new provisions? That's right. It also provides an informal process for employees to escalate any workload concerns to their manager in the first instance without having to follow a formal process. 
So moving on to the reference to the workforce skills, capability and mobility clause. That looks new. Tell us about it. So in terms of the workforce skills, capability and mobility clause, this is a brand new provision within the agreement and would seek to promote development opportunities for existing employees through a number of mechanisms, including flexible rostering arrangements, study leave, local committees um, and the reduction of international appointments on 457 and 417 visas. And what are the likely benefits to health services regarding these changes? So these changes align with the public sector government priority to build skills and capabilities of employees. The benefits to employers is that this process could assist in addressing skills shortages in certain areas by providing a method to upskill existing employees. So employees already have an entitlement to study leave. However, this clause would provide additional mechanisms for employees to request flexible work arrangements if undertaking studies to further their career within the public sector. So the development of local committees within each health service will also help to oversee the implementation of that course. That's great. So moving on to the fixed term employment clause, the changes look to reinforce the existing provisions of the agreement by clarifying when fixed term arrangements can be utilised. That's correct. So the impact has been flagged as limited as the nature of fixed term arrangements has not really changed substantially. So next we have secure employment uh, and this is a clause which uh, is an amalgamation of the existing staffing levels and unplanned absence clauses within section two of the current agreement. Could you update us on some of those key changes? So this clause will now apply to manager and administrative employees where it didn't previously. Um, the other key amendments include uh, the insertion of an optional EOI process for uh, filling external vacancies of 16 hours or less per week. Uh, the benefit of that process is that it'll allow employees to expedite that recruitment process by not having to advertise externally. Uh, secondly, it clarifies that in the event of an absence where workload cannot be deferred, rearranged or reallocated without generating an unreasonable workload, the employer will replace the absence, giving preference to existing employees prior to engaging agency staff. So the next item is occupational health and safety. I understand the changes to the clause are primarily to reflect current obligations under the OHS Act. That's right. So the terms are simply to clarify the employer obligations and maintaining uh, an OHS compliant workforce. And so I understand that the occupational health and safety clause, which currently only exists under section two, will become a common clause in the new agreement. That's right. Okay. So moving on to table two, the changes which only impact health and allied services employees. Uh, first, we have the amendment to the experience payment clause to remove references to redundant classifications. So yes, that's correct. So we're not looking to change the operation of the experience payment clause. We're simply updating it to reflect the removal of classifications uh, over the life of the previous agreement. And I understand we've also agreed to conduct similar clarification within the in-charge allowance clause to remove redundant classifications and also to exclude classifications which provide for supervision functions within their descriptor. Yeah, um, again, only to provide clarity. So next we have the excess annual leave provision. Can you take us through these changes? So as part of the employer log of claims, the health services had requested the insertion of an excess annual leave management clause, which was consistent with the modern award um, and other public sector agreements. So we're happy to report that the union were amicable to inserting such a provision within the agreement. So in terms of the impact to health services, it's likely that this excess uh, leave management clause will be of benefit. Uh, will this term apply to all employees? 
Yes, so this will be a common term within the agreement. That's great news. So moving on to classifications and staffing claims for the health and allied services employees. We have first up, we have the translation of sorter slash packer linen and laundry operator to the laundry hand classification. What's the rationale behind this change? So this was part of the union's broader claim to streamline the health and allied uh, classification structure and remove unnecessary classification codes. So we found that all three of these classifications perform a very similar function and are remunerated at the same wage school level. So it made sense to roll them into one classification for simplicity. So essentially this change won't result in changes to duties or rates of pay for these employees. That's right. So the next four items refer to the removal of classifications within the agreement. We have noted that there's no impact to health services for, regarding the removal of seams person, animal house attendant, or community health worker, which was limited only to Melbourne Health, uh, as these are now redundant classifications. Uh, so yes, according to the central payroll data reported by the health services, uh, these are no longer utilised and will be removed from the agreement. However, the removal of all other employees will require a much more detailed review process. Uh, could you take us through the proposal for removing the all other employee classification? Um, sure. So this item was flagged as a potential boot concern as the classification is seemingly used as a catch-all for roles that don't neatly fit within the descriptors. Um, given the variety of roles that can be performed at this classification level, uh, we have suggested a review process for employers to follow once the agreement is approved. Following that review process, employees will be translated to an appropriate classification within the agreement. So what happens if there isn't an appropriate classification for employees to be translated to? So if there isn't a, um, so if there's no available classification, employees will need to consult with the union via their AIC meetings. So it's likely that employees will be translated to a wage skill level, which is comparative to the duties which are currently being performed. So next we have the food and domestic services assistant classification. So the agreed changes involve the addition of duties associated with loading and operating dishwashers and preparing basic meals. Health services have advised that employees at this classification level will already perform these functions, so it won't deviate from the current practice. So that brings us to table three, which is the manager and administrative worker specific clauses. The only additional items appear to be fixed term employment and excess annual leave. Are these the same terms that applied to section two employees? Yes, they will have the same effect. That brings us to the end of the progressive agreement changes. How can members provide feedback? So we've scheduled two go-to meeting sessions for attendance by CEOs and or their delegates. So first we have the Monday 7th of December meeting between 4pm and 5pm. Uh, and then we have the Wednesday 9th of December 2020 meeting between 4pm and 5pm. The purpose of the session is to provide a further opportunity for members to raise any queries or concerns about the agreed in principle matters. The go-to meeting link is available on bulletin 2616. Perfect. And if they cannot attend those dates but wish to raise any queries or concerns? Uh, they should email us um, at the email address on screen. So that's hsu1and5eba at vhia.com.au. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Maria, for providing an update on version two of the Progressive Agreement, which, uh, as we mentioned before, can be found in Bulletin uh, 2616. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Daniel.